Yaksha Mash, happy anniversary to the Kilbasa King Sports Extravaganza. Five years, and this is our special five-year anniversary show at about the half-hour, 32-minute mark. Packers.com's Wes Hodkowitz jumps on to talk about the impact of former Wisconsin Badgers Lance Kendricks and Vince Beagle on the Green Bay Packers. Plus, we have so much more Major League Baseball trade deadline talk. Milwaukee Brewers here on the Kilbasa King Sports Extravaganza. Welcome again to another edition of the Kilbasa King Sports Extravaganza brought to you by Bucky's Fifth Quarter. Make sure you guys check out Bucky's Fifth Quarter for all your Wisconsin Badgers news, notes, and a lot of just so much more. Uh, and uh, obviously coming down, you guys have seen our position previews. Uh, right now we are counting down days till Big Ten Media Days and the start of fall camp, which is the end of this month. And uh, we'll be down there at the uh, local media day. Uh, coming up on the, I think I believe it's the 28th, of, uh, or we don't know exactly when uh, the date is going to be, but uh, I think it's something later in the month uh, before fall camp starts. So uh, make sure you guys check back with Bucky's fifth quarter for, for Wisconsin Badgers news and notes. Uh, Scotty, this is five years, brother. It's been five years since we started in July of 2012. Uh, four years with Bucky's fifth quarter giving us this platform. Uh, to, to reach uh, everyone and reach Wisconsin fans, uh, and uh, happy anniversary, brother! Yeah, wow, yeah, it's five. A lot has changed in five years. I remember, you know, five years ago, I was in the midst of my illustrious baseball coaching career, and I, I think one of our early shows I had to do in between games of a doubleheader from from the ballpark. So, um, absolutely, I remember that. Yep, I remember heading over to Wilson Park, if I'm not mistaken. And uh, recording the show by by a bench, uh, you know, and so yeah, remember that. Uh, we've been at bars, we've been, gosh, uh, in person, over the phone, through Skype, through a speakerphone, talking to everyone. I mean, we've had numerous guests, both Wisconsin-based in terms of Badgers, but also, uh, you know, others. Oh, the fact of uh, you know, just recently, D'Angelo Yancey, Vince Beagle. Uh, we've had. Billy Corbin on the show before we joined Bucky's fifth quarter, uh, John Luer, uh, a bunch of, uh, you know, Mason Crosby, uh, and then, you know, tons of Badgers with Travis Frederick. Uh, we, you know, we've talked with Jared Aberderis, James White, Daria Gumbawale. It's been nuts, man. It's got hosts, hosts of Packer draft picks. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's been crazy. You know, I know we got a lot of things we want to get into, but one of the things that's not really sports related but I just can't seem to get my head wrapped around it. Um, I don't know if you've heard or read the uh, the, the stuff coming out from uh, Ringo Starr lately. No, I haven't. Uh, oh, my goodness. So he's claiming, he came out last week, he's claiming that Paul McCartney, you know, legendary Beatles uh, leader of the Wings, from Paul McCartney and the Wings, everybody knows Paul You know who Paul McCartney is, I can't help you. But right. let's... That he actually died in the late 60s in a car accident, and he was replaced by a lookalike. Wait, what? And, yeah. 
Yes, and it, the story gets even weirder. So he's claiming that this happened and they perpetrated this hoax, and it was actually the hoax that caused uh, John Lennon to leave the Beatles because he didn't get along with the new lookalike, and he felt like he was living this lie, and he didn't want to keep perpetrating it. Then a lady back in the 80s tried to sue Paul McCartney as a paternity test because she said back in 1959 he fathered her child, and the, the fraternity test came out false and in favor of who we thought was Paul McCartney, and now she wants to reopen the case because she said if, if obviously the fake Paul McCartney took the paternity test, of course he would have failed it. And Paul McCartney came out this week and just basically said Ringo Starr senile. But <laughs> one of the crazier stories in a while. Good. You know, uh, not to give this a segue, but a, a cra- probably one of the craziest stories of Major League Baseball right now. Your Milwaukee Brewers, nine games over 500 and a five-and-a-half game lead over both the Chicago Cubs and the St. Louis Cardinals in the NL Central. And... What a start to the year, and granted, it could have been six and a half if they don't blow the lead on Saturday afternoon against the New York Yankees at Yankee Stadium, but man. If, if you know what, honestly, if they had uh, some of those really bad losses, especially some of those ones at home, if they win half of those, they're up almost double digits. So put that in perspective. Half of those blown saves, if those end up being converted to wins, they, they're up by ten and a half or ten or something like that. So I mean, so you think it's crazy now? Imagine if they had that kind of a lead. Um, so I want to talk a little bit about whether they're buyers or sellers and, and that sort of thing. But before we do that, I just want to kind of put a postmortem on the All Star Game and, and the lack there of Brewers and whatnot. So there's a few things I just want to kind of quick hit here. Number one, I know that. Travis Shaw is having a good year, and I know Jimmy Nelson is having his best year. Um, and there's some people who thought Eric Thames should have been an all-star. Honestly, I, I have a hard time with that. Look, 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 the Brewers have played very, very well. They have a very deep roster that's helped them, and they've, they've, they've worked well as a team. But if you let's just use Eric Thames as an example. If you think he should have been an all-star, who does he replace? Vato, Goldschmidt, or Zimmerman? Right, like, right. Uh, you know, same with Shaw, and I think Shaw's the MVP of this team. But does he replace Arenado or Lamb? Is he better than them? Uh, you know, not, this year he's in the certainly in the conversation, and and maybe it wouldn't have been the worst thing in the world if he got in over Lamb. But still, it's hard to argue that that he completely got snubbed. Jimmy Nelson, same thing. They were going to take at, you know a handful of relievers, so maybe he should have been there over Brad Hand. But if that's the case, then what Padre gets in? What Padre deserves if it's not Brad Hand. So then out of the starters, is he better than Kershaw? Is he better than Strasburg? Is he better than Greinke? So I think fans need to not get too riled up about that. Where I think they have a case is I think you could have made a strong case for Eric Thames to be in the home run derby. And uh, that I think I would have liked to see maybe over a Blackman or maybe over uh, a Justin Bohr. So you might have a legitimate complaint there. Aside from that, I don't I don't think the Brewers got slighted. I do think Corey Knable got slighted. I think when you're playing relievers and you know, like, for example, if the only player from a team is a reliever, then maybe Corey Knable should have been in in the seventh or in the sixth or the eighth. Like, he should have, there should have been some plan to make sure that he got represented over a pitcher from another team who already had three players appear in the game. You know what I mean? 
Um, and, and another great managerial move by Joe Madden that obviously backfired in his face because he went with his guy, and his guy gives up the, the essentially ends up being the game-winning home run. So good for Joe Madden. The, la- the last thing I wanted to say, and I'm, I'm just putting it out there. I'm not making any accusations. I'm just pointing to something. There's still people who wring their hands about Ryan Braun and the fact that he quote-unquote cheated and used PEDs. There's still people in Major League Baseball. In fact, the rumor got floated around that the reason Eric Thames didn't get picked for the home run derby is because some people in Major League Baseball think he might be on some enhancements. Okay? That's not been proven. He's passed every test. But let me ask you this. Let's take Eric Thames out of the picture. Home runs are at a record pace right now. Two years ago, they were at a 20-year low, and all of a sudden, they're at a record pace. Now, there's many reasons it could be. You know, baseball will tell you that everybody's adjusted their swing. Everybody's made a modification of their swing, like Ryan Zimmerman has, like Aaron Judge claims he has. Okay, maybe. Maybe there's some enhancement chemical that baseball hasn't been able to, to ferret out yet. Maybe the balls are just wound tighter because we know Major League Baseball has done that. You know, home runs get ratings. I'm not saying it's any one of those things. I'm not saying it, it isn't all of those things. I'm just pointing out a fact. There have been a lot of home runs hit, and I find it hard to believe it's just because people are uppercutting the ball a little bit more. Um, so that being said, that's kind of my postscript of, uh, of the All-Star weekend, All-Star selection, and, and some other things that people can digest uh, at their leisure. You know, it's the fact that there's, it's not just, I mean, the Brewers, you know, obviously are among the, you know, the leaders with home runs, and you have the fact, I mean, and you have guys like Thames, and, and you have, you know, Travis Shaw, players that are, you know, you, you see the ball carry off, and I know they're talking about the ball being juiced, and, mm-hmm. and, and stuff like that. I just, honestly, I... It's gotta be something. There's some, there is something to it. I mean, and, you know, it's also sometimes, too, I mean, the one thing you have to look at, I mean, I think it was on the Mike Heller show they brought it up earlier today, we uh, recorded on Wednesday night, that he said that there, you know, like, a lot of, there are a lot of 0-2 home runs. So, two-strike home runs that are being hit. And so maybe they're not trying to uh, pull up on the bat, you know, a little bit more. Or well, I, I will tell you, I will tell you what it could be, Jake. There is one thing I forgot to mention here, and, and it, it is also legitimate. Major League Baseball this year has decided that they were going to call the high strike at the numbers, but they were they had stopped. And by and large, if you watch, they're not giving those low strikes anymore, like, you know, as much as they used to, right? Right. At ease. So there is plausibility that part of the home run. You know, you talk about O2, but there's also been a lot of 3-1 home runs because pitchers aren't getting those low strikes. So then they elevate the ball a little bit, maybe thigh high, in somebody's wheelhouse home run. So there's some of that too, and I, I didn't want to, I didn't want to continue the conversation without adding that that could very well be part of it too. It's not all nefarious. You know, there has been a a, a pretty seismic shift in the strike zone in the way being interpreted this year. So I didn't want to cut you off, but I didn't want to leave that unturned because that's certainly something that were that could certainly be part of it. If pitchers are forced to leave the ball up higher so they because they're afraid they're not going to get the low strike, they're paying the price for that as well. Yeah, no, it is. A, it, I mean, it, it's intrig- It's an intriguing number. Let's face it, you know. And you, you see home runs being given up at the level. You see how the Brewers have taken advantage of that, for that matter. And how they're, you know, they're among the league leaders there. So, 
Well, they lead the National League in home runs and stolen bases, which I knew they were up there in both categories. I didn't know they were number one in stolen bases. That came out during the All-Star game. It was mentioned. I'm like, wow, I, I was honestly unaware that they led in both categories. So there's that power and speed combination that Brewers are trying to put together. And so now Brewers are nine games over 500. Mm-hmm. Cubs are two games under. There's a five-and-a-half game lead currently. Uh, and the Cubs are currently seven-and-a-half back in the wild card. When it comes to, you know, I mean, it's going to be tough where, I mean, you know, you're looking right now at L.A. and Arizona, you know, are the two, or Arizona and Colorado, I'm sorry. And, and, you know, the Brewers are, if they would ever, if the Cubs got on that streak where they win, you know, 25 or 30 or, or however, what, whatever it is to, to get back and, and overtake the division. You know, you're probably looking at the Brewers trying to see what happens with Colorado. Uh, but with that bigger story, I know, I know it's been kind of, ki- you know, killed on sports radio, but uh, bigger surprise, the Brewers nine games over or the Cubs two games under? Well, obviously, um, it's probably a tie, but I would say the Cubs being under – but, you know, here's the other thing. For the long haul, I mean, I, I know Brewer fans don't want to hear this, but for the long haul, the Cubs roster is right now better than the Brewers. I'm not saying that's how it's going to be in two years or three years or even next year. It's a better roster that's underachieved, okay? Or maybe it has, maybe it's been undermanaged or whatever. I mean, whatever you want to call it, okay? Um, that being said, as much as I think the Cubs have the better roster, there comes a time in the season, you know, when we've said this a lot, remember when we talk about players in a slump, at some point you get to the point where that season is just going to be that season and you're just going to have a bad year. I think we're getting the, to the point where if the Cubs are still hovering around five games out and a couple games, three, four, five games under at the end of, you know, maybe April 15th when we get into those last six weeks, you know what? then maybe it's just one of those years that's not meant to be. I mean, that doesn't mean that they're not built for success in futures. I mean, look at the, the Giants. They won a World Series, didn't make the playoffs. Won a World Series, didn't make the playoffs. Certainly they were still a skilled team, you know, through all of that. Um, but I think the fact that they've underachieved as, as badly as they have, especially for a team that won over 100 games last year, I think that's a surprise. Now, the Brewers being nine games, but that's a surprise, too. I think a lot of people figured their ceiling was 78 to 80 wins. Um, you know, if they play 500 ball, they could, right for the second half, should win this division. The, the next question is, you know, and this is the other age-old debate that people are having at nauseum on the radio. Do you go for it? Do you stand pat or do you make minor moves? Here's the thing. Some of the pitchers that have been talked about, Quintana, Sonny Gray, people are comparing it to the CC Sabathia trade where they gave up Matt Laporta, who ended up not being anything, and Michael Brantley, who was a throw-in, who actually became an all-star. But right. here's why it's different. CC Sabathia was in the last year of his contract. Sonny Gray is under team control for three more years. So if you go out and you make that trade, and you have to give up some pieces, and I'll talk about what pieces in a minute. But if you go out and you make the trade, you still have a guy who can anchor your staff for the next two years. The Brewers have a good farm system, but they're not bursting at the seams with pitching prospects. They got some decent pieces, but nothing guaranteed. There's no, um, there, there's certainly no uh, Clayton Kershaw that's waiting to come up, or no Madison Baumgartner or Chris Sale, if you, if you see what I'm saying. 
So why not make that move? Here's the thing. The brewers have a dearth of shortstops. And outfielders. If you look around, there's a lot of outfielders. They can trade one of, one of those guys away. And shortstops, I, I don't know. This year has kind of told me something about Arcia. I don't think he's going anywhere anytime soon. I think he's got shortstop locked down at the big league club for the next few years. So if you have all these middle infielders, even if you convert one to second base, why not make a trade? Why not trade some of those pieces? If you listen to Stearns when he was acquiring all these shortstops and second basemen, he kept saying, I'm acquiring pieces that we can use to make our team better. That implies to me that those are pieces he'd be willing to trade away. So if you're not giving up the quote-unquote, no pun intended, farm to get a sunny gray, well, then you're darn right you go for it. Because the other thing you have to remember, you've seen it, you've watched enough baseball, there's nothing guaranteed. Look at the Cubs this year. So you might think you have this farm system that can come up and contend, but there's no guarantee that that team's going to make the playoffs. Why not try to make the playoffs this year? Get in, maybe be the hot team and see how far it can take you. Over the last few years, we've seen wildcard teams make it and win the World Series. We've seen teams win the division with 89 wins and make it to the World Series. Why can't that be the Brewers? And why would you want to risk that not taking advantage of the window for the future that that could? I mean, we've seen prospects fizzle out. We've seen guys get to the big leagues and not be the player that they thought they would be. Heck, we had one of them here for a while before we released him, Nick Franklin. He was a first-round draft pick. Fizzled out. Gabe Gross, first-round draft pick. Never quite made it. Why would you want to hang your hat on the maybes? When this year, there is one thing that's for sure. They're in first place right now at the All-Star break. Why yeah. wouldn't you want to take advantage of that? I can see that. Part of me, it's just, I mean, obviously the trade has to be right. And that's, well, of course that's, it does. You know, of and, course you know, it does. And Stearns, I mean, they know it's like technically the second year of a rebuild, right? And they're trying to work through this. And I think the results but, came a lot quicker than what they expected. I agree. And they're still in a rebuild. Look, just because yeah. you trade a couple pieces to get a starting pitcher doesn't mean the rebuild's canceled. Because there's one other thing that, that people aren't considering. This year, Ryan Braun isn't necessarily tradable at the break because of the calf injury. Let's just say he gets healthy. And I know baseball's all about what ifs. Let's say he gets healthy and has a great August and September and leads his team in the, to the postseason. And you had to give up a few prospects to get Sonny Gray. Well, why wouldn't you trade Ryan Braun in the offseason and get those prospects back? Different people, but same level prospects. You're not canceling the rebuild just because you're going for it this year. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying you signed Jeffrey Hammonds like the Brewers did in the early late 80s and early 90s just to throw a body out there or Marquise Grissom. We're not canceling the rebuild. But a smart trade to me is a, getting a guy who was going to still be under your control for three years. You know, That's a smart trade. A CC Sabathia type trade wouldn't be a smart trade right now because if you get a guy of that caliber, you know he's not going to resign and you're going to trade prospects away for nothing. If you're trading prospects away for an ace pitcher that, that is going to be on your team for the next couple seasons, I don't think it's that risky of a gamble. Yeah, no, I can see that. I Part of me just, I would love to see them gain the experience of, you know, like, fighting through this on their own and obviously you have chase anderson who's going to be on the dl for a little while longer with, with that oblique uh, you know matt garza is who he is you have got you know junior Guerra, others you know he's on the dl too it's it's one of those things that 
Like they, they, they're putting together these stars, which is impressive. Like you know, Brett Suter, uh, others are, are stepping up. I, I do agree. If the police are right, I mean, maybe they can. But I mean, you're looking at a team like the Dodgers right now that are you know is phenomenal. Like a, sure. You know, sixty-eight percent winning percentage, almost a sixty-eight, almost a sixty-eight winning percentage right now. But how many times have we seen the team with the best record in baseball not make it to the World Series? And again, there's still variables. There's still things that can happen. You know, the Dodgers could be on pace to win 105 games, and in September, Clayton Kershaw feels a pain in his shoulder. Right. All bets are off now. Okay, now it's wide open. Washington was a team that looked like they were on pace to win 100 games. They're still in first place, but they've come down to earth a little bit. Some of those bats have cooled off. You know, Scherzer's pitching great, sure, but their rotation hasn't been as deep lately as it was in April and May. So I, that's what I'm saying. Like, baseball's a damn sport. It's it's a it's a it's an evil evil woman is what it is. It will set you up to make you think everything's great, and then it'll kick your legs out from under you. And we've seen it happen so many times. That's why I think you can't just stand pat. Um, now maybe you know it'd be different if Brett, if Anderson hadn't got hurt and Junior Guerra was Junior Guerra from last year. Maybe I'd say then okay, well you know we'll just ride this out. You know, but Junior Guerra hasn't been Junior Guerra. We don't know how Anderson is going to look when he comes back because obviously he's having a career season. His 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 norm isn't this. Matt Garza's norm with the Brewers isn't as good as it's been lately. You know, you got to protect if the bottom drops out. I like what Brett Suter's done, but he's not the answer. He's a piece. I think he's a fifth starter, long reliever guy. He's gonna he could have a decent career. Is he Sonny Gray? Is he you know? So, you know, again, if it's smart, I don't want to see a one-and-done trade, you know, but I would love to see them do something to submit because, again, now you got a rebuild still going on. Let's let's just use Sonny Gray. I'm just using that name. There's other pieces, other paper it could be, but let's use Sonny Gray. Next year, you still have a young staff. Now you have a veteran to help shepherd some of the young prospects that are going to come up and, and try to fit into the staff. So in some ways, you can argue that that helps the rebuild. Because you have a veteran who's had success. Anderson's been okay, but he hasn't had seasons like Gray or Quintana. Why wouldn't you want to have a piece then that can help shepherd the, the, the young the young guys and continue the rebuild? So we'll see. I mean, I just find it interesting because a few weeks ago it was a very non committal answer about whether or not they were even gonna to try to do anything. And then over the last week they've decided, hey, we're gonna to try to get in this and try to make something happen. So at least they're going to be open to it. I would have been really upset as a fan and, and a baseball connoisseur if they would have not at least explored some of these things and just decided standing pat was the way to go. And it may turn out that Oakland or Chicago or whoever wants a king's ransom, and they may not pay that. And that's fine. I will tell you this. The Cubs are going to grab one of those guys, whether it's Verlander, whether it's Quintana, whether it's Gray. They're not going to stand pat. And... As I said, that roster is built for long-term success going forward. I'm talking about the Cubs. Why wouldn't you want to step on their throats this year when you can? I could see. No, your logic makes sense. It definitely does. Uh, you know, I guess, like I said, like, is, it, is there something that the trade they can't refuse, then a deal they cannot refuse, and hey, let, them, let, they, they can let, let it roll. Uh, but it'll be interesting to see what happens, especially if they can get Thrawn healthier uh, in terms of uh, not dealing with the fact that he has to, you know, with, with the calf injury, uh, right. to get Chase Anderson back. 
it should be interesting if they can get back to full strength what happens but heck uh, like I said if the deal's right I don't I, I wouldn't blame them for, for making the move uh, I'm also just wanting to see how the team reacts to this and how it builds up uh, and just how they how the young kids and, and how everyone like RC has been great uh, it just that bat's come alive especially the last 40 50 games uh, you know Thames is you know he's cooled off a bit but it's intriguing there Shaw throughout all the emotional turmoil that he's had to go through with his with his newborn daughter uh, and, and, and the surgeries there is really just you know what he's done uh, in, you know it's bad dealing with all the you know, everything going on around him uh, sure. but you know so no it'll be interesting to see how and, they how they continue and, 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 they and, and I would make the argument that if I'm one of these young players because I've heard this and I don't I'm sorry I just don't agree with it just from talking to players and, and the time I got to cover the team they always say well if they make a move then their ownership saying we don't believe you could do it on your own, and I disagree. I think what it's saying is, I believe we have a team that contend, that can contend this year. Here's a piece to make it better. I think it actually uplifts the young players because they go, because whose spot would he be taking? Maybe Guerra's. Maybe right? he's not taking anybody's spot. He's not blocking anybody in the rebuild if they make that move. But what it's saying is, hey, we believe in you. We think we think we can win this thing, and that's why we're going out to get pieces to help us do that. So, you know, I. I think some people confuse it and they say, well, that's going to send a message that they don't think they can win without help. No. I mean, come on. Every team that's a contender over the last 30 years goes out and acquires pieces to solidify their team. You know, if they don't believe that they're in contention, they wouldn't make those moves. Going forward, we got, uh, before we bring up Wes Hotquits on the show this week, it's for our five-year anniversary show. He is technically what we've Scotty I refer to as the third kielbasa king uh, yeah. when it comes to uh, him. We'll have him on talking about Vince Beagle, uh, how he looks at with the Wisconsin, you know, former Wisconsin Badger outside linebacker, how he fits in at, at a crucial position need at outside linebacker uh, for the Green Bay Packers. We'll talk. We'll preview that. We'll preview other key positions. Talk about D'Angelo Yancey, who we also had on the show earlier this year, how he fits in with with a, with a you know a, a Malachi Dupree. Uh, among others in, in a crowded wide receiver room uh, and where they can stand out. Uh, we'll talk with Wes in just a little bit. Uh, before we get to that, Scotty, anything else you want to talk about with baseball in terms of surprises, disappointments, what's to come in the, in the coming you know weeks, coming up in toward, you know, this final half of the season? Well, I mean, obviously, you know, you have two Rookie of the Year runaways in Ballinger and, and, and Aaron Judge just killing the ball, hitting it out of the park. And ironically, if, if the Yankees get back in the contention because they were in first and now they've slid a little bit, you could have a rookie of the year and MVP in the same season. I mean, that's the, it's as rare as it is. So I think that's been a surprise. And obviously Houston continues to surprise, you know, um, with the, the start that not only that the start they had, but the fact that they continue to, to maintain that level of play. I think that's pretty impressive. So I think those are the two biggest things. And as far as anything else goes, uh, I guess two other quick hitters, the amount, ridiculous amount of money that continues to get thrown around the NBA uh, is very, very interesting. Um, and uh, I don't know if you caught any of the Mayweather-McGregor uh, press conference, but that was certainly uh, interesting as well. So, 
Yeah, I didn't get a chance to, I mean, I saw his suit, uh, with those pinstripes, but it wasn't necessarily a pinstripe, it was, uh, an expletive deleted on that, uh, which was intriguing, um, but no, I mean, I just can't get into the McGregor-Mayweather stuff. I, I and, and part can't. of it is this, I don't, I, I think, McGregor, uh, I'm sorry, Mayweather is one of the most unlikable people in sports, uh, just because of some of the domestic abuse stuff, like, unlikable. So, and McGregor is not necessarily a warm and fuzzy, uh, you know, heart string tugging story either. So that in and of itself makes it hard. Plus, I still think, you know, we were having a conversation and, and they said, somebody asked me, well, they think, you know, McGregor can win. And I said, I don't know, Mayweather's a better boxer. And the person I was speaking with made the argument, yeah, but if he catches them, and I said, yeah, that's the same thing Wiley Coyote's been saying about the Roadrunner for 70 years. If I could only catch him, you know, I could choke him out and eat him. But it's not easy to catch a guy who's who's as gifted as much as I don't like him, as gifted as a boxer as uh, as Floyd Mayweather is. But yeah, and I'm certainly not going to spend that kind of dough to see that. That's ridiculous. So Yeah, on top of that, you look at the fact that like Mayweather posted a video of him training, right? Like this was like two, maybe a week or two ago, and he's ducking, dodging like fast, right? He's a boxer. This is a this is a boxing match. This is a right. boxing exhibition. I'm right. watching McGregor try to do his little thing, and he looks slow as molasses. Like from there, Mayweather should just knock you. It has it looks like he's gonna run circles around him, tire him out, and then knock him out. Right. Embarrass him. Like based off of that. So it's just like honestly, like and they're doing this tour and all this stuff, and it's just I I'm trying to like from a sports writer, from a you know sports podcaster position like we are, I'm trying to get into it. Oh, everyone's talking, everyone's so hyped about it. I'm just not like I'm not gonna spend a hundred bucks to watch two guys that you know one's you know way outside his prime in boxing, even though he's still good, he's still mm-hmm. good. Uh, and could destroy me in a in heartbeat, but uh, a guy that you know, I, I just I don't find it appealing. I just I, I just don't find it appealing. And uh, yeah, I'm, we'll see what happens. But eh. I'm trying to decide what I dislike the most: the Mayweather fight, Lavar Ball, or National Signing Day. I, I I'm not really sure, but they're all pretty neck and neck. I think in this in in this running, but. Uh, LeVar Ball, we could go on a tangent on that on another show, but no, I, I agree. I, I do, but I do really think that to that point that you know Mayweather is should knock him out and should beat him. But and the other thing I don't like about this fight is I think the the whole motivation behind it because for years, you know Mayweather said no, this is never going to happen. No, this is never going to happen. Uh oh, the IRS needs some money. Hey, this fight's going to happen. So. You wonder what, you know, obviously you don't wonder. You know what the motivation is, right? I got to pay off some IRS debts, so let's cash in on a big payday. So that in and of itself just makes you feel like he's not even taking it seriously. It's just, it's a means to an end to pay off some debt. So, uh, so we'll see, right? Absolutely. I mean, obviously we'll probably talk about it afterwards, but yeah, we'll, we'll see how that rolls. Uh, we'll ask Wes this coming up whether or not he's hyped for it or if he's more hyped for WWE NXT because we're going there at the end. Well, I know what he's going to answer. That's a a no-brainer. 
said, uh, we'll, we'll go from there, and we're going to uh, we'll talk with Wes coming up here on the five-year anniversary of the Kilbasa King Sports Extravaganza brought to you by Bucky Sooth Quarter. Stay tuned. We'll be right back, guys. Yak Shamash, everybody. Welcome back to the five-year anniversary show of the Kilbasa King Sports Extravaganza, our four-year anniversary with Bucky's fifth quarter. And, you know, it's been a long time, folks. You know, we just talked some brewers. I think we actually may need to record this for some fourth wall stuff for everybody because we recorded some brewers talk last night. And, of course, a bunch of trades happen on Thursday morning, right? Uh, which is great for me when I have to do post-production on this. But... <laughs> However, we are happy. It's been a while. It's been a long time. Uh, our, who Scotty and I refer to as our third Kilbasa King brother, he's now on Packers.com. You read his stuff. You listen. You watch his videos. It's Wes Hodkowitz. Wes, did I get the name right again? Did I get it right? You, d- you did, Jake. And I can't. I gotta say, uh, kind of like when you you get back. You know, you're you're back in the WWE, and you hear Howard Finkel you know, say your name again before you come up and, you know, behind that curtain. Uh, it feels so good to be back on the Kabasa Kings podcast. I, this is, uh, I, I, hearing you say that already, I mean, four-year anniversary, five-year anniversary show, I mean, it's incredible uh, how quickly this time has passed, but I'm very, very happy to be back with you guys. Well, and you know what, Wes, there's really no other person we'd want as a guest, and that's the God's honest truth on our fifth year anniversary than to have you on the show. So it's fitting. Um, and of course, because you're on and it's that time of the year, we're obviously going to talk about NBA summer league basketball, right? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Hit me. I, uh, I, I might know a player to, Hey, uh, Bronson Koenig is Wisconsin herd. I can kind of try to make up things about that for 30 seconds. So, nice. Nice. Now, what we should do is, like, you know, I, I, I felt like maybe I should introduce you saying, like, bah, gosh, it's Wes Hockowitz's music. Bah, gosh, you know. Uh, anyway, but uh, but first off, it's, it's great having you back on, brother. It, it's good talking to you. And, you know, obviously, you know, this is July. We're, we're getting ready for – you're getting ready for training camp. I know fans are. They're getting excited uh, towards the end of this month. And, and players are resting now. I know some players – are getting married, they're on their last vacations, they're just gearing up uh, before the grind starts. And just what's that feeling that, you know, you've seen with this team through OTAs and training camp, what are you feeling just uh, overall going on in Lombardi Avenue over there uh, for the Green Bay Packers? I, you know, probably the, the thing that stands out to me the most as I really sat back and, and had a chance to digest what happened during the offseason program and it really was just the amount of diversification of this roster. Uh, I think right now where they stand both offensively and defensively, uh, this is one of the deepest teams I've covered in terms of the things that they can do and the personnel that they can deploy. And I think the exciting thing for Packer fans, I've said this in, in a number of different interviews that I've done, is that you really don't know how it's going to look once they get on the field. I mean, you have Ty Montgomery in the backfield now and his hybrid tendencies. You know, he's a, he's a receiver. He's a running back. He's a playmaker. You bring in Martellus Bennett into this offense. You bring in Lance Kendricks. You, you have guys that, unless you're a real diehard fan, which I know there's a lot of them who are, um, you, you might not know what Lance Kendricks brings to an offense. Uh, you know, Jari Evans getting brought in. I, I just think that this is a really intriguing mesh of – returning players, rookies, and, and these veteran additions that they've made that 
when the Packers get out there for training camp, I think it's going to be really fun to watch in terms of the competitions that, that brew at running back and receiver and cornerback. Uh, because I think that was one of the things that, that has happened with the way that this league is moving. You have to be able to give different looks. You have to be able to adapt to different styles and different types of offenses. And I just think when you look at how they use Morgan Burnett last year on defense, you bring in a guy like Josh Jones, uh, there's just so many different things that they can do both on the offensive side and defensive side that I think is going to be pretty exciting to watch. And as someone who's covered this team, you know, for the last few years, now five years, uh, I just, this is the one year where getting into that first practice on July 27th, I'm not entirely sure what we're going to see in terms of who's lining up with the first team, who's with the second team and how they're going to go about doing this. And I think that's something that's kind of refreshing. Well, and, and Wes, you kind of hit it on the head. I mean, let's just start with, you know, the receiving core. And there's a lot of additions to that receiving core, different from the beginning of camp last year. Uh, so that receiving room, there's going to be, you know, up 10 guys fighting for six spots. Then you look at the running backs. and The Packers go out and draft three running backs and, of course, Ty Montgomery. So you talk about the battles that are just going to happen in, in training camp. It's going to make it really exciting. Yeah, it is. And I, I think one of the things that stands out to you, uh, to me, is the fact that, okay, you have the big three. You know, you have Jordy Nelson, Randall Cobb, and Devontae Adams, and, and all those guys can go off, you know, for a big game at, at any moment, and especially seeing the way that Nelson bounced back last season. I think there's a good reason to believe that he's a guy that could be really effective for them with his style and being able to use him in the slot at times going into his 30s. So, But it's who steps up behind that. You know, who's going to be the next Geronimo Allison? What do you have in these two young rookie uh, receivers? I thought Malachi Dupree had an excellent offseason program for a guy that was a seventh-round pick and, you know, was the 10th and final draft pick of that class. Uh, D'Angelo Yancey, uh, really, when you look at him from a body type standpoint, reminds you more of that James Jones type power and possession type receiver that obviously has a lot of big play potential as well when you look at his last year at, at Purdue, which I, I know you guys are well well aware of and then don't forget about you know trevor davis don't forget about max mccaffrey uh, I, I wrote about him a couple weeks ago here's ed mccaffrey's son the other mccaffrey uh christian mccaffrey's older brother who really i thought looked really good uh throughout the offseason program he's an excellent route runner uh, a guy that did a lot of positive things at duke and and is really trying to make the most of this opportunity so they have 12 receivers on this roster right now and as luke Getzey said the receivers coach for the packers um, he looks at a room that has seven guys who can play in this league, upwards of seven guys that can play in this league. And I think that's going to be exciting to watch to see who exactly emerges from that group to join those top three guys, not only on the 53-man roster, but, you know, who gets the call up on, on the 46 on game days. And Wes, you know, kind of going from the wide receivers over to the, the tight ends, obviously a big facet. You have the Martellus Bennett. You have Lance Kendricks. Uh, you know, obviously being part of Bucky Smith Court and some Wisconsin, you know, the Wisconsin Badgers, you have that connection there with Lance and, and just being such a big tight end in, in Wisconsin history, one of Paul Chris's tight ends. You know, a lot of right. talks made of, 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 of Bennett. Uh, and he, what do you think he's going to bring? But also – do you think Kendricks may be a little bit more underrated when it comes to uh, obviously the big city may be Bennett, but what does you know Kendricks bring to this this offense as well? Yeah, Kendricks, I think Jake is really underrated in terms of uh, if there was no Martellus Bennett, if, if they you know if he wouldn't have been the big signing right off the bat. I think Kendricks is every bit as exciting as is when the Packers brought in Jared Cook last year because you're looking at a young guy with a lot of talent. I mean, he was a second round draft pick. Got to remember that. Um, you know, had had already received a second contract with the Rams. 
Um, but again, much like Cook, has just really never had that chance to have a quarterback like Aaron Rodgers and, and never had a chance to, to play in a postseason game yet. So this is a hungry dude who also has those connections to Wisconsin. You know, his parents still have their house. Even though they're, they're retired to Florida now, they still have their house in Milwaukee. He still has his brother uh, in the state. So I remember talking to him the day after he signed and just how excited he was. I mean, you, and you guys probably know this a little bit from his temperament. Um, Lance Kendricks is a really even-keeled guy. He's a quiet guy. I remember Brian Angelico, I think it was, the, the Packers tight ends coach, talked about how him and Martellus kind of balance each other out a little bit in the room. Um, but you could hear in his voice just his excitement for this opportunity and the chance to, to really show what he can do and, you know, have another chance to, to start off fresh. Uh, and now you pair him with Richard Rodgers, who you know has had his moments here in Green Bay, uh, has shown his hands, and has really been a, a pretty big workhorse for the Packers. I think something he doesn't often get a lot of credit for is the fact that he hasn't missed a game yet in his NFL career and is going to have a chance to really be utilized to the best of his ability. And certainly getting back to the to the, to the pro bowler here, uh, Martellus Bennett is at the peak of his powers right now. And I think when I saw him for the first time uh, at Lambeau Field, you really have to to be in Martellus's presence. You have to see him to fully appreciate the type of athlete he is because he's six foot six uh, and he's two hundred and seventy five pounds as far as what he's listed at. But if you see him, the way he wears that weight, the way he carries it, uh, he just looks like a massive wide receiver. Uh, so I, I think it's going to be interesting to see what the Packers do with that. Certainly they've dedicated themselves to this idea of going multiple with tight ends. I remember talking to Jared Cook last year and talking about how, you know, he really wished at times they could have done more two tight end sets. Well, now they, they have that potential. They have that depth. They have three guys there um, that all have experience, all have starting experience. So seeing how they shuffle that out and how they utilize it, again, getting back to what I said earlier, is going to be one of the more intriguing things to follow once we get into camp. On the flip side, defensively, they address some needs. They get another pass rusher. They address the secondary. And before we kind of get into that, you know, I remember going back to draft day and getting into some really heated discussions because there are a lot of, of course, Packer fans and Wisconsin fans that wanted the Packers to draft Watt. Right. But what they did was amazing because at that time, on Ted Thompson's draft board, he still had three of the top cornerbacks he wanted he was able to move down draft King who projected as a first rounder anyway, and get some additional picks. Your thoughts so far and what you've seen from King and, and that, that pick overall. Yeah. I, you know, to be honest with you, and I know this probably isn't, isn't going to be uh, popular with the, the Wisconsin fans out there, but I, I really like the move they made because the one thing you have to see what the Packers have here is they did lose a lot of guys in free agency. I mean, they lost seven unrestricted free agents. Uh, that's a big, that's a big cut, even though they did replace them with five, uh, other guys uh, still as and I was I sat down with Ted earlier this year and talked to him for what ended up being what will be in the Packers yearbook this year you know there was that feeling that okay we have eight draft picks if there's something we can do if we feel like we're getting good value this would be a good year for us to move back when Thompson looked at the board I remember Elliot Wolf talked about it too the night of the draft when they looked at the board and how things were falling when it was getting to them they had that it was a deep spot. They had multiple guys that they were felt comfortable taking. So to move back four spots and to get Vince Beagle, uh, I, I just think that was a really smart move for them. And getting back to your question with Kevin King, uh, this is a this is a really interesting football player. I mean, six foot three, two hundred pounds. We didn't get to see a lot of him on the field because much like last year uh, with Kenny Clark and 
and Dean Lowry and, and Kyle Murphy, he's a part of that quarter system out in, in Washington, so he wasn't able to participate in the offseason program. But getting a chance to see him a little bit in the rookie orientation, and then obviously when he was back for mandatory minicamp, six foot three, it can't be understated, overstated just, just how impressive he is in terms of a, a physical specimen. Now, he needs to be able to translate all his skills that made him successful at Washington. He needs to be able to flip the hips. He needs to be able to track the football. He needs to be able to stay with guys down the field and show that 4-4 speed. But he is a really talented guy, and I got a chance to talk to his position coach, Jimmy Lake, a little bit after the Packers had drafted him, and just talking about how dedicated he was to building his body, how they would sit together in the classroom, um, and he'd make him finish his protein shakes, and you know, make him. He kept reiterating to him, "Okay, it's great to be six three, but you got to be able to fill out that frame." Uh, he gets the big picture, and I think he's a pretty. Uh, nice young man too. I was really impressed by how he handled the the whole situation of of being pushed back into the second round when he, you know, really did have his heart set on the first round. I thought that showed a lot of maturity to stick around, and now uh, gives the Packers another weapon with Devon House and Ladarius Gunter as kind of those more prototypical boundary corners. Maybe that allows Demarius Randall to play in a more natural spot in the slot. Quint Rollins is still in there, so. Last year, I think, proved you have to have multiple options. You're not going to be able to get through a season where it's just going to be, okay, your top three, top four cornerbacks are going to play all 16 games. It doesn't work that way. So you need to be able to have different guys you can use. And I think with King and some of these other moves they've made, it they, they certainly accomplished that. Yeah, we're here with Wes Hodkowitz, Packers.com, here on the Kilbasa King Sports Extravaganza, our five-year anniversary show. And you mentioned Vince Beagle and, you know, that pick, you know, the training back, I mean, that was a big deal. It's another Wisconsin Badger picked in the first overall pick in the fourth round for the second year in a row because uh, Joe Schobert was picked by the Browns uh, last year. Uh, you know, and I know a lot of fans, you know, hey, you miss out on Watt, but then you get this value in the fourth round with Vince Beagle. And, and I've had a chance to cover him for the past four years since I started at Bucky's fifth quarter. And, you know, you know, team captain, uh, great hairstyle as you, as you know, yeah. <laughs> uh, which I mean, he, he cut off the mullet. I'm, I, you know, we kind of talked to him about it. Like you have to bring it back. Uh, we'll, we'll I think see. he probably wanted to get – he was getting married, so he probably wanted to make sure that those wedding photos weren't going to be, uh, you know. Exactly. <laughs> as great as it is, I'm guessing that's something you might not actually want in your wedding photos. Yeah, no, that's a fair <laughs> point. That's a fair point. But, you know, what is he – you know, you, you re Nick Perry, and, and with this group uh, that, you know, behind Clay Matthews and, and you have Nick Perry – I, where do you see Vince fitting in within this scheme uh, in the certain sub package, packages that Don Capers deploys? Yeah, the big thing for Vince is going to be see. Well, you know, we're going to have to see where he's at uh, once we get to training camp. Obviously, he had the the ankle uh, situation and, and the subsequent uh, surgery. So, seeing exactly. Uh, what he'll be able to do, I think, is going to be really big. Now, Mike McCarthy did say, going back to his uh, charity golf outing earlier this summer, he expects to have him back in training camp. I'm not sure if that's at the beginning, middle, wherever. But uh, the thing that's exciting about Beagle is just, again, kind of what you talked about, a natural leader. I mean, football runs in his family's blood and, and such a well-documented uh, you know, love affair that his family has with the game. Uh, and, and the other thing that really stood out to me, too, even before the Packers picked him, I remember being at the table uh, in Indianapolis at the scouting combine, just hearing how he conducted himself, um, just the professionalism, um, the respect, and, and really did have a nice productive run at Wisconsin. I mean, kind of carrying on that, that recent tradition. Everybody always likes to talk about uh, the offensive line history and, and the in-state ties 
to the Badgers. But I think that the linebackers, particularly when they've gone to this three, four scheme and, you know, the last number of years, uh, what they've produced is, is incredibly impressive. Uh, so for him to, to kind of breed out of that now, I know he didn't get as many sacks as he probably wanted last year. There were some injury situations there as well. But you see the potential. You see the size. Um, so we'll have to see exactly where he's going to fall in this thing. But the nice thing for him and, you know, Kyler Fackrell and Jaron Elliott, even a guy like Reggie Gilbert who's coming back from the practice squad, there's opportunity there. Uh, because even if, you know, if everything of all the stars align and Clay Matthews plays every game and Nick Perry plays every game, you're still going to need to develop a rotation. You're going to need guys to step up. And uh, one thing I've kind of talked with people about in our insider inbox that we do on the Packers website is really don't confuse lack of depth with, with unproven depth because the Packers have had kind of had this embarrassment of riches the last few years with having Julius Peppers available, um, you know, having, you know, Dayton Jones when he was making that, that switch, you know, Mike Neal before that. They had a lot of guys that they could turn to. Um, okay, so you don't have Peppers now. He's back in Carolina. But this is an opportunity for Kyler Fackrell to step up. He added, you know, weight to his frame this offseason. J. Ron Elliott wants to show that the flashes that he had these past few years, he can do that on a more consistent basis. So um, I, I think that's going to be one of the more interesting things to watch to see exactly who steps up there. But for Vince Beagle, uh, whenever he's back, however it works out, uh, this is going to be a big opportunity for that young man to contribute. And certainly he has that history and that background and that defense that it shouldn't be too, you know, too big of a jump for him. Well, you know, you talk about what a great guy Vince Beagle is. Speaking of guys on the other end of the spectrum, what's going on with Greg Jennings, man? Like, oh, I, I mean, I, 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 got, I got to cover him. He seemed like a really good dude at one point. He seemed pretty well grounded. He was a fun-loving guy, and he's just become – I, you know, this bitter, you know, somehow feels like a jilted lover at some point. Uh, and these comments, I don't, I, you don't need to defend the comments. I just want to know what you think of where he's coming from. I mean, he, he took shots at Aaron Rodgers. He took shots at the Packers. He took shots at the fans. And he's taking shots at his old coach. Just go away, man. Like, you're retired. Go away. Yeah. Yeah, it's tough. Um, it's one of those things, too, that uh, I, I only got a chance to cover Greg. I think it was one year because then the next year he was sort of dealing with the the sports hernia most of the season. So I didn't really have as much exposure with him. But I know talking with Mike Spofford, my colleague at Packers.com, who had a lot of, ex, you know, a lot of exposure with him and came at the same time that Mike started with the Packers, always talked about how good of a guy he was and how decent he was to deal with in the locker room. So uh, it's interesting to see sort of that paradox a little bit with, you know, the, the outspokenness here, but um, whatever the case may be, it's one of those things that I, I don't know. I don't know where those things come from. It just seems like uh, it's one of these things too, in this day and age where you kind of get that hot take sort of uh, that, that sort of popularity um, in, in, it's it's everywhere. It's not just obviously on television. It's on Twitter. It's on uh, social media, and, and people like to have their opinions. So, whatever the case may be, um, I think you also have to look at the track record, and uh, it's still pretty good. Uh, and it's still uh, you know you you look at what's been accomplished and how close um, the Packers have come here the, these past few years. There's a reason why they're going into the season now, and, and they're trying to get that ninth consecutive playoff appearance, which would tie the NFL record. I mean, there's a reason why uh, they've been able to have the success they did, and they kept themselves alive in 2013 when they didn't have Aaron Rodgers for half of that season. So um, I, I don't know what the answer is. I, I don't know, um, you know, what all feeds into that. Obviously, these guys in the locker room, I get a glimpse of that, but you know, day in and day out, you, you know. 
everybody's going to have their different opinions. But um, the one thing I can say is I know when you look at a season like last year where um, there was as much as adversity as the Packers had faced, uh, the injury situations that had crept up, you lose four in a row, they're four and six. People are wondering, you know, where is this going and, and is this the, the, the drop-off? Is this the window shutting? And then you see the team sort of rally around Mike McCarthy the way they did the run-the-table mantra, and suddenly they're back in the NFC Championship game. Now, obviously, it was one step short of the ultimate goal of getting to the Super Bowl, of winning a Super Bowl, but at the same time, I don't think you can really take for granted um, what it's like to be playing for those kind of championships, especially when you see in this day and age when teams can just hit a downturn and then suddenly they're out of it and they just can't recover. I thought that said a lot about that football team last year, what they did. And I, I, in my opinion, you know, and I'd say this whether I was still at the newspaper or my, my current job, I, I think you have to look at the top up and really, you know, have that as sort of the guiding light because if you don't get that message from your coach, from your establishment, from your organization, um, you're not going to be able to find that footing to recover. Yeah, yeah, and uh, on a lighter note, uh, as we start wrapping up uh, with Wes Hodkowitz from Packers.com, and, you know, uh, SB's uh, best <laughs> dressed. I mean, Mike Daniels looked good in that suit. Like I, I, He I, did. I, yeah, he, he style it. Like, if there's one person, obviously, with his WWE connections and, and, and his love of that, and obviously being a former teammate of, of WWE superstar, uh, Biggie Langston or Big E is now he's known as, uh, you know, but right. also just the way that he on that defensive line, uh, I, I, a lot of fans that are endearing to him. Uh, but who do you think was best dressed out there from, from all the Packers? Oh boy. There were some good ones. Um, I was, re- I was really impressed with Daniels. I, I, you have to think about that. Not a lot of people can pull off like a Royal blue type suit. I thought he, he did it really well. Obviously, Aaron Rodgers is always he, he's always uh, you know rocking it and, and doing what he does. I was actually and getting back to some Bucks talk. I was actually really kind of surprised the, at how that that suit that Zaza Pachulia had. I thought that was pretty sweet. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it was it was interesting to watch. And, and the one thing I want to interject here because you guys are are too nice, too kind to say it. Um, we were supposed to tape this uh, fifth anniversary episode with me. Um, during on ESPY's night, and I had to back out on you at the last minute because suddenly the Green Bay Packers ended up winning all the awards, and I had to start writing about them. So um, that's a credit to both you, Jake, and Scotty, and in allowing me to uh, kind of pull the last minute uh, switcheroo on you. So I appreciate you guys uh, being uh, so cool about that, and, and obviously getting another chance to come on here. And, and you don't even bring it up. I mean, that just tells you what kind of guys you are. That uh, you don't even make me look bad, so uh, I, I certainly appreciate that. But getting back to the original Aspies thing, there were a lot of costumes, a lot of different outfits all over the board. Um, but I, I think I, I think I got to give it to, to Mike Daniels in, in terms of uh, you know being able to, to wear that suit and wear it so well. By the way, if, if you missed the Aspies, everybody, the Cubs won the World Series. I don't know if you caught that. <laughs> I, I could never have heard that. Yeah, no. Uh, yeah, I, I didn't uh, know about that. I like I said every. Yeah, my in-laws are Cubs fans. My church pastor is a Cubs fan. Uh, <laughs> some good friends on Twitter are Cubs fans. Uh, so yeah, uh, shout out to Adam Jacoby and others uh, among others there. Uh, but yeah, no, it's a. 
Um, but yeah, no, Wes, you know that's not a problem, brother. Uh, you, you're your family and, and stuff happens. So we're just happy to have you back on the show. And we're hoping to catch you soon. I got to get my oldest up to training camp so he can experience what it's like. My sister actually uh, just mentioned she's going up to Lambeau for the first time. She went on Facebook for Family Fun Night, uh, which is oh, nice. next month. And so, yeah, no, it's uh, – so, yeah, we got to get up to see you. And uh, hopefully we can get you to NXT in Milwaukee, uh, depending upon if the, the cards fall online, brother. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I've been – I've been really excited about, well, one, to make a note about family night. I, I hope to at some point, I don't know if I'm ever going to be able to do this. I'm probably after you're retired. Uh, I hope to be able to go to a family night because it's been interesting. I've never really been able to enjoy it. I mean, because I'm working, you know, we, we got, it is a practice. We have to cover it as a practice before that. It was a scrimmage. But uh, my mother-in-law brought my, my godson to it last year. That was his first time in Lambeau Field. And um, was just such a cool experience for him and getting to hear uh, the stories that he that he was telling me about it and the laser show and the fireworks and all that. I'm always down in the locker room when that stuff happens. So hopefully they, they enjoy it. I, I know he did last year, and, and hopefully uh, at some point I'll be able to check it out. Getting back to NXT, though, it's been interesting to watch how that's evolved a little bit because now obviously you got uh, Bobby Roode as the champion, but uh, even I, I think I saw the tapings here for the last couple weeks. I mean, the fact that Bobby Fish now um, had a had a match there, um, and you're seeing some of these ROH guys come in now. Uh, I, I think that's been really interesting to watch because that really that's probably the thing I followed the most dedicated. You know, most I've been most dedicated about was was Ring of Honor over the last I want to say two or three years. So. Seeing uh, that influence in it now uh, has been really cool to watch, and, and I, I don't think Fish is signed. He's one of my favorite guys, but uh, you know some of these other guys now that have, that have come in and, and kind of uh, made their imprint a little bit. That, that's been that's been kind of fun. You know, real quick, I know Jake has to go. I'll, I'll make it brief, but I still have like uh, battle scars from Family Night, especially the one where I was in the uh, press box while it rained and there was a plane on the tarmac at the oh. uh, Austin trouble, and I felt like I was watching a hostage situation because <laughs> yeah, there was no, right. I, I mean, it was because there was no audio on the TV, but we knew what was going on, and it just had this wide shot of the plane. It was, uh, I'll never forget that. Um, you know, it's funny with everything that's happened over the last few years, it, it, for me, and I was still covering preps at the press because at the time, I, I, after all, everything that's happened with the Hall of Fame and, you know, and obviously Brett going into the Ring of Honor last year, um, I've kind of forgotten about that, but yeah, that was that was a big night. I think when you look at probably the history of Family Night, that's still going to be the, the one of the things that's most synonymous with it. Yeah, but brother, it's been great having you on, Wes. Uh, we'll have to have if you know, depending upon whenever you're able to get back on down the road for during the season, we'd love to talk with you, man. And uh, just all the best. We're excited for you. Uh, for another season and, and what's down the road in in, in December as well, brother. Uh, and uh, yeah, we'll, we'll definitely we we hope to talk to you soon, man. All right, thank you guys very much. Congratulations again on five years. Big accomplishment. Welcome back to our five-year extravaganza show, our anniversary here at the Kobasa King Sports Extravaganza, brought to you by Bucky's Fifth Quarter. Again, a big thanks to Wes Hotkowitz from Packers.com, our old friend uh, who we refer to like we've talked about before, our third Kobasa King uh, brother, and, uh, you know, it We've talked about this before. We recorded a lot of the stuff early on in the show on Wednesday. Today is Friday. We talked with West last night. And so now we're talking about, you know, 
uh, things have changed when we talked about the Brewers, right? And so the Milwaukee Brewers, they receive a left-handed pitcher, Tyler Webb, from the New York Yankees for a triple-A prospect, Garrett Cooper, a first baseman, who the Yankees, they do need a first base prospect uh, in their organization. But the big deal that happened, the, the shots fired, if you will, a moment came yesterday. Chicago Cubs acquiring Jose Quintanilla, or Quintana, I should say, uh, mm-hmm. from the Chicago White Sox for a lot of prospects, and mm-hmm. and so you know this is a you know we talked about it on Wednesday. Do they sell? Do they do they buy? Uh, you know, do they hold pets? You know, steady to the Brewers and, and Scotty. You know, it's it, with this is an intriguing development, especially with the fact that John Morosi, I believe, had a report out there earlier on Friday morning talking about how the Cubs may not even be done and may still be targeting Sonny Gray for that matter. Right. And so, I mean, you're talking about uh, trying to catch up to the Brewers and stacking their lineup there. This exactly. is this is huge. Exactly, and that's why the all the more reason the Brewers have to do something. Because, again, there's no guarantee that when all the prospects are here that they're going to have a chance where they're this far ahead of the Cubs with the offense, okay? Especially if the Cubs are going to get graying on Grant Quintana for the next two to three years. You have to take advantage. Now, would they have been able to make a deal as good as the Cubs to get Quintana? Likely not. And nor would I have wanted them to give up a top five prospect to me. But... It doesn't have to be that big. It doesn't, even if you don't want it to be any great and you think it's going to cost much, Dan Freely would be a great guy to grab. From Miami is not going to be looking for a ton of prospects. They're trying to get rid of salary so they can sell that team. So maybe an Edison Volquez, Dan Freely. You need another starting pitcher. Um, I don't want it to be Verlander because he's not going to stick around. You know? So again, you don't have to break the bank but you have to solidify the roster. And if it, if it ends up being a second-level guy, like it's it really fine. If, if, you know, again, kick the tires on Gray. You know, don't give up too much. Again, you won't be able to do what the Cubs were able to do with that kind of prospect. But if you don't do anything and you let this squander, if I'm a fan, as much as I say I believe in a rebuild now, if I let this opportunity squander in two, three years down the road, they're still not contending with their prospects, it's going to leave a really bad taste in a lot of people's mouths. Yeah, I mean, I can see that point. It should be really be interesting to see just how they address. And it sounds like based off of, you see, you see the reports yesterday and the availability of Milwaukee general manager David Stearns, you're hearing from Tom Hardercourt, among others that were there, talking to the team that really, you know, like it's not necessarily they have to do a response trade, uh, you know, or that the, the Cubs trade was, was for this. They, you know, Stern said that this is a just they have to do what they have to do. Uh, it does, it, like I said, it does bear mention, you know, watching and, and where this team goes and where, you know, who they target and, and how that affects team chemistry if they do make the trade. I mean, let's, let's, let's talk real quick about Tyler Webb, right? Uh, this is a yeah. pitcher that from left-handed pitch, you know, left-handed pitcher. They get it for Garrett Cooper, who would be stuck behind an Eric Thames and a Jesus Aguilar at first base. Slugged the ball really well in Colorado Springs, right, for the Sky Sox. Uh, but, you know, so the Brewers do give up a, a good prospect there, but one that probably wouldn't see the field uh, for a couple of years. Uh, where do you yeah. see how, – how does this – how does the effect – is it? I mean, this guy looks like a bullpen player, you know, player, uh, le- left-hander. 
can get some strikeouts, but you know, what does that mean for a guy like Brent Suter or, or for a guy like Josh Hader? It doesn't, it doesn't mean it doesn't it doesn't mean anything for any of those guys. Uh, first of all, yeah, you gave up a guy who had some great numbers in in Colorado, much like. Joey Meyer and Billy Joe Robodeau had great uh, numbers in Denver when Denver was the AAA farm club for the Brewers. Because, and then you know how the air is in Denver and Colorado Springs. Those home runs in AAA didn't manifest themselves at the big league level. So I'm okay with the prospect that they gave up. Uh, however, great. So you went out and, and, and you, you get this kid and, um, He's just a bullpen guy. He's another lefty. On a bullpen that's had some injuries, on a bullpen that's been overworked at times, that's got a lower third ERA in the big, it's just another fresh body that you can kind of move in and out, send the guy down for a while, bring him off. There's going to be other injuries. It's good depth. But that's really all that it is. You know, when I first heard they got him, I thought they got the golf pro from Caddyshack, the club pro. That's the wrong Pythem. But I was like, well, wait, Ty Webb's coming up. Be the ball. But, um, you know, I think it's, it's a nice piece, and it's one of the things they needed. They wanted them to get a starting pitcher and to reinforce the bullpen. I think they're, they reinforced the bullpen. Now i got to get a starter, and I'm happy as a fan. Uh, again, just to go back to the point, I think all things aren't created equal, Jake. Brewers are a small market team. They can't afford to just stand back and watch the big market Cubs acquire people and then pass them up in the standings and they miss. You have to go out and do some things because with the payroll they have, they're not going to be able to ever compete for, oh, I mean, let's use CC Bathy as an example. He was here for the half season. They weren't able to compete with him, even though they offered him the best offer they could. So your best bet to try to improve and get some veterans, at least in the short term, is how you build up your pitching in the farm system, is to get a guy who's here for a year and a half that you can still get at a decent rate that you know probably won't resign with you at the end of it, okay? Because you don't have the ability like the Yankees, like the Cubs, like the Dodgers, to just throw money around. So that's the other reason why I think you can't stand pat. If the Cubs would have elected to stand pat with you, let's just say they did, okay? And let's say they don't make the playoffs. You know as well as I do that in the offseason, they can spend $30 million to add pieces to their team. The Brewers can't. So this is your opportunity to get better without having to go out in the open market and compete dollar for dollar against teams that you can't match up with in that in that aspect. Yeah, uh, I can see. No, I feel you. No, so it's it's this is we'll see what how it starts off and obviously uh, it starts off this weekend and it's a memorable weekend, it's the 1982 reunion weekend. I think Sunday's giveaway is uh, was it a replica ring. From 1982 World Series team, uh, I remember my parents had a pennant from the 1982 World Series. I don't know if they still have it. I hope they do somewhere in storage. But I had a whole, I had a 1982 World Series pennant. That was even before I was conceived. So it's a, Jake, I I lost so much memorabilia in, in my house fire from the '82 team. I had scrapbooks that I made detailing the whole playoff run. I had placemats from McDonald's that had Brewer players on them. I had shelves upon shelves upon shelves of things that reminded me of 82. I'm going to say this. I'm going to say it right now. I have heard a lot of people on sports radio and on the websites and on the message boards that are, you know, that say stuff like this. 
how big of a loser franchise is it that the Brewers are celebrating a team that lost the World Series? Why are they doing it? You know what? Shut up. Okay? Listen, I know that the Brewers haven't ever won a World Series. So should we just sit there and be sad that we've never won a World Series? I'd like them to. I hope they're on the right path with David. I really do. But you know what? This is the closest to this team. So shut up. If you don't like it, don't go out to the ballpark this weekend. If you think it's silly, then don't go. Nobody's putting a gun to anybody's head and saying, come celebrate the 82 team. I'm celebrating the 82 team. I'll be at the game on Sunday. It was a fond memory for me. I was an 11-year-old kid who was falling in love with baseball, and that was the pinnacle. That's when I realized, because I was watching it for this thing when I was 8, 9, 10. That year was the, the, the year I fell in love with baseball, and it's been a passion of mine for the rest of my life. So you know what? If you want to be one of those, get off my lawn, you damn kid, fine, be that guy. But shut the hell up, and let the fans enjoy it if you choose to enjoy it. And maybe five years from now, ten years from now, we'll have a World Series championship that we can celebrate. But until that happens, get out of everybody's way and quit being a college. <laughs> On that note, I think that's the way to, that we can wrap up this show as we uh, I'll get this out this or at the latest this weekend. Uh, thank you, guys. Oh, let, me, let me say this. Let me say this. Since we're on a little bit of a tangent here, and it, it is our five-year anniversary, and we've been allowed to – it took us three days to record it to tell you how <laughs> epic this show is. Real quick about the 82, and I don't know if I've ever said this on the air. Maybe I have because I repeat this a lot, but I just want to get this out there. Tom Otter and Robin Yow, they were great. Okay. They're great players. The MVP of that era, from, and I'm calling that, that era 1982 or 1978 to 1983, from Bambi's Bombers to Harvey's Wobbing, that era, right? The MVP of that team, to me, was always Cecil Cooper. And I know that Cecil Cooper didn't always have a great relationship with the media, whereas Yannick and Molitor were a little bit more accessible. But go back and look at Cecil Cooper's numbers. Look how prolific he was, not just with batting average, but the ability to drive and run. The, uh, the few amount of times he actually struck out. Go back and look at Cecil Cooper and try to make an argument why he doesn't belong in the same breath as, as Molitor and Young. Good luck, because he was that good. And he's going to be there this weekend, and I'm excited for that. And I really wish, and I'm not a big number retire guy. I think some teams overdo it. But number 15 should be hanging out in the outfield at Miller Park, and nobody should be wearing that number. That's how important Cooper Cooper was for that Milwaukee Brewers team in that franchise. Well said. No, uh, he. Yeah, I, my parents remember my dad talking about him all the time. So, uh, but yeah, maybe hopefully fans get out there to celebrate the team, celebrate your first place Milwaukee Brewers. I'm gonna try to get out there one of the, sometime this weekend. We'll see if that actually uh, happens. But on that note, it's been a great start to our fifth year as a podcast, continuing to grow, uh, and our fourth year continuing with Bucky's fifth quarter. So, uh, you know, tune in next week. We're going to be talking more Packers. We're talking more Badgers, Brewers, uh, whatever happens uh, with Derek Rose and the Milwaukee Bucks, which uh, oh, I, I made quick, yeah. a quick, quick hitter there. I don't like. I am not in favor of it. I, they don't have the cap space. I, you know, unless they make a move. But on, I just don't think that he fits in with, with the franchise on that level uh, when it comes to what they're trying to accomplish. Uh, I, I mean, I, I don't know what you think. Maybe, maybe uh, yeah. Let me just ask you. Like, I don't think it's a good fit. Do you? I don't. 
think so, but it's because of the injuries. I know the cap space isn't there. I know that they talk. Uh, the talk is that Henson would get traded, which I'm okay with. If I know that he's had some issues with his brother and his agent and some discontent in places he's been. However, you're trying to build guys that can be star impact players. And let's be honest, Jabari Parker, you start to worry about him with the injuries. That's what I'm worried about with Sloan. He's had as many, if not more, serious injuries than Jabari Parker, and I just don't think he can hold up to the grind. If he hadn't had those knee injuries, despite everything else, I'd be 100% on board with Derrick Rose. But you can't make an investment. A small, a small market team that's trying to take the next step and become one of the top teams in the East, not just the playoff team, and run the risk that that guy could get hurt again. Because if he does, you talk about being hamstrung with the cap space now, I think it's just too risky because of the injuries. But Derrick Rose, the star, Derrick Rose, that was, you know, Derrick Rose five years ago, that could be again if his knees didn't seem like a concern. I'd be in favor of that. But, you know, it is what it is. Biology is biology, and those knees have taken a beating. Yeah, so now it'll be interesting to see how that plays out with the management. Uh, and on that note, like I said, we have a lot more coming, especially this summer into the fall with football and, and the Brewers being in contention and the Bucks uh, being who they are, and, and a lot more coming up too. So, uh, Scotty, anything else before we uh, take off, brother? Uh, no, no. I guess he, I mean, he pretty much echoed all of our sentiments. We appreciate the support. I think we should apologize to our fans. I mean, for three years, we're a little bit more regular, and a lot of this happened in our lives and with work and the book. But I think, you know, we still strive to get back to a more regular schedule, and I think eventually we could do that. And we'd like to take this thing a little bit bigger, too. We'd look at radio, look at other ways to not to, not to replace what we're doing here, but to supplement it and to grow the brand a little bit. And we can't do that without the people who support us and, and listen and give us feedback and good or bad. And we're always open for it, and, and we thank everybody for investing the time. Uh, that they have enough and, and we're continuing to invest the time for that. Exactly. So you now hopefully we can get on a more regular schedule starting uh, this weekend and going into next week. And we'll see you guys next week. Tune in. We'll, we'll obviously, like I said, we'll probably hopefully get into some position previews uh, for both football teams. Uh, and we just take it from there. And we'll have some fun with it. So uh, on that, for, you know, that note for the Polish Rifle Scott Wisniewski, this is Jay Kokorowski, guys. Thanks again for, you know, some great five years, many more. And we'll talk to you guys soon here on the Kilbasa King Sports Extravaganza.